Baltimore, Maryland. Havoc. Chaos in the streets. This is Noxo. Case Files of Joshua Chambers. A crime drama set in the heinous world of the Dark Charm universe. It's Monday, Martin Luther King Day, and I'm at a Rundle Mills Mall. I used to have a dream once, and then Karen and I had a child. Now, he keeps us up on a nightly schedule. Eventually, Karen will go back to work and we'll need daycare. Shouldn't be a problem, but for two police detectives, one a captain, life is just getting more interesting. I didn't have to work today, and Karen went to her sister's with the baby, so I was able to meet up with a new friend. The 8x10 case had taken an interesting turn, and I had to find out some real details that they didn't prepare you for in the academy. I told Calliope Matrenga, an operative from the Keepers that reached out to me almost a year ago, that I would meet her at the Zinn Burger here at Arundel Mills. It was a great burger joint, and had some good shakes. I arrived first, and got a double cheeseburger with all of the trimmings, but no bun, and no ketchup. I was supposed to have no fries either, but I cheated and got a small basket. Apparently, the doctor says I've gained too much weight as a result of not being healthier in my decision-making. But that happens sometimes when you're put in the hospital because of a homicidal maniac. I sipped an unsweetened iced tea with lemon as I waited for both my food and my companion. Once my food came, I felt I'd been stood up. But then I saw Calliope finally walk through the door. She saw me and waved, explaining that she was meeting with me to the waitress and sauntered exhaustedly to my table. She sighed and sat down in the chair across from me. What an interesting place to meet up. But a quiet library would have been better. I've got nothing to hide. What about you? I always have something to hide. It's been a while, Captain. I mean, congratulations on your promotion. Thank you kindly. Indeed, it has been a while. But I'm sure this little get-together isn't about catching up. Is it? Hi, I'm Candy. Would you like something to eat or drink for you? She saw that the place served wine. Give me a glass of Merlot and some buffalo chicken wings with some blue cheese and celery on the side. Any fries with that? No? And on second thought, I'll take a whole bottle. The waitress left. I cut a piece of burger slathered in mayonnaise and mustard. Wow, that was a bit cold. What happened? I have had it with demons and angels recently. (laughs) And you aren't going to like the reason that I brought you here. She sighed and slammed her head down (sighs) on the table softly. Fuck! She said it loud enough to get people in the restaurant to look at her. I put a bite in my mouth. Hey, take it easy. It's not as bad as you think. She raised her head and looked at me incredulously. Not as bad as I think? Well, let me tell you something, Chambers. You have to deal with a serial killer in the eyes of a fallen angel of death. Who killed one of your best operatives, one of your best friends, and wreaked havoc on several other friends of yours before disappearing into thin air? Then, then you can ask me how my day is, okay? Who was it? Was it Darlington? She leaned back in the chair and a somber look came over her face. No. Darlington's AWOL. I don't know where he is. So, what is this about? By now, I had finished my food. 
You probably know this through your contacts, but we had a situation where we found 15 dead bodies at the 8x10 club on New Year's Eve. We did. The killer was involved. But we're just not sure which one's the culprit. It was as if he had shepherded the drowers into a club and then got them all riled up to kill them. And then just any, any other person that was around after that. There was a word in there that I didn't understand. I'm sorry. Drowers? Drowers? What are drowers? They are the children of Cain. Those who were the former disciples. Ones who had taken too much of his blood. And they no longer have those basic human traits, you know what I mean? They're mindless beasts. That they rely on nothing but instinct. They feed on the blood of people in order to stay alive, but they're only acting at night. Like vampires. Kinda, but they lack the, the certain finesse, the... The grace of vampire. How can you stop these things? Have you been seeing a lot of those lately? No, but it's always good to be prepared, I said. Her eyes widened in joy as the waitress came back with a bottle of Merlot and a glass. The waitress pulled the cork on the bottle and poured her the first glass. Calliope sighed <sighs> as the waitress left and took a stiff drink. Wow, maybe you should have gotten some whiskey instead, I said, marveling at her down in the red liquid. She looked at me as if I were the dumbest person on the planet. This was a woman who liked wine, but was feeling it. I let her depression simmer. She opened her mouth again. Drowers are durable, but they can be killed just like everything else. It takes some damage without the ability to heal itself. They will die, I promise you that. Can that be said about you? I asked her as if she had some kind of self-destructive mentality. What? She kept laughing for a minute or two before the laughing finally became a flood of tears throwing her face. She finally had the ability to speak. I can't, I just can't. I can't what, Calliope? I can't do this anymore. My life was not meant to be like this. Damn you, old man Genovese. I didn't know who this old man Genovese was, but he was most likely responsible for steering her into the life she now led. I wasn't good at pep talks, and this poor lady needed me now than what I could give her. Calliope, I know therapy isn't really an option here, but you really need to talk with someone who can help you through this. She looked up at me. What do you think I'm doing right now? I'm a police captain and a detective. I'm not good at dealing with these things, I said to her as my attention was diverted outside the food court of the mall. I saw a young man who resembled a normal goth teenager with entirely black clothing and a black cowboy duster. The only difference was that I got a vibe from him that he wasn't human at all. He stared at me with eyes of cobalt blue. It must have unnerved Calliope enough to have her turn around and look. What? Tell me right now, what do you see? I tried to formulate words, but they failed miserably to come out of my mouth. Finally, I was able to speak. That guy. His eyes. What? What guy? She put her right hand on her lap. It was at this time that I noticed that she was packing a Glock in her pocket. I didn't care at this point as I just lifted my hand toward him and pointed. There. She squinted as she poured another glass of wine. Just some random goth guy you'd see in a Hot Topic or something. Nothing special. Now, I don't know what happened, nor can I explain it. But before I knew it, I had jumped out of my chair with a badge in hand jumping the railing, separating the outside dining area of Zinberger and the rest of the food court, and ran after this dark-breasted teenager. The mall denizens looked at me strangely as I had apparently burst their bubble of the day. 
The teenager saw me coming and started to run away from me as well. The mall security, who had no clue what was going on as I passed to them with their segways, paid no attention to me as I called for backup. The rush of people shopping prohibited me from getting good traction on the kid, but I saw him go into Hot Topic, just as Calibri said he would be from. When I entered the store, the kid was gone. I was greeted by workers who didn't have the slightest clue what was going on. I showed my badge and asked if anyone with dark clothes and a black overcoat came into the store recently, and they laughed in my face. <laughs> Dude, that's like 80% of our customers. I walked back to Zinberger in defeat and saw that Calliope had left the table. The waitress, who thought that I had stiffed her on her check, questioned where I had gone. I showed her my badge and told her the lie that I thought I saw someone shoplifting. I gave her my debit card and a really good tip for her trouble. It was then that I realized that I paid for Calliope's bottle of wine, which was more than I thought. I went home, and when Karen came home, I told her about what happened. She acted as if she didn't want to hear what I said. Maybe this was just a mental block, but she knew about all of the supernatural stuff before I did. Maybe now with Milo born, she didn't want to address the pink elephant in the room anymore. I stumbled into a conversation that she was having in the bedroom with God. I didn't let her know that I was listening, but she was praying for our family. But most of all, she was praying for me. I wasn't a very religious man by any stretch of the means, but when you see what I've seen and do what I've done, things change you. I waited until she was finished until I came into the bedroom for a restless slumber. The next day, I opened my eyes to see outside the window. I was greeted by the wet death. It was bound to happen at least once a year here in Baltimore, as a brutal snowstorm rolled through and dumped tons of snow and sleet on the city and surrounding counties. For all their wisdom, the meteorologists didn't see this coming. Marty Best's full of shit. I sloshed my way into the precinct to see dispatch waiting for me to come in. Sergeant Miriam Grady, an older black lady who had been working dispatch since before I joined the force two decades ago, smiled as I came up to her. She looked warmer than me at that point, but that was understandable considering where I just came from. Captain, there's somebody in your office that's... they just need to speak to you. Now, I need to clarify something. When I hear that phrase at work, it immediately takes me back to Vern Garvey from Internal Affairs. I still don't know what type of man he is, but he gives me the creeps. But those thoughts drifted away when I thought about the goth teenager that I chased last night. Maybe this was him? Who... who is it? I asked. I don't know. He didn't give his name. He just said it was very important. He said he needed to talk to you about the recent murders at the 8x10 Club. I nodded to her and walked toward the entrance to my office. Thank you, Sergeant. I walked into the office and saw a young man dressed in a semi-professional manner. He was much more clean-cut than the kid that I chased down in Arundel Mills. Hello, you said to Sergeant Grady that you needed to speak with me? Looking at him closer, he looked like he was freshly out of college and worry seemed to dance across his face. He stood up and shook my hand. Thank you for taking the time to see me, Captain Chambers. My name is David Bates. 
I motioned for Mr. Bates to have a seat as I pulled off my coat and hat, sticking them on the coat rack nearby. He sat down and cleared his throat. <clears throat> um, I'm here today because I am advocating for someone. For who? My sergeant said that this was in reference to the 8x10 club. He said as a matter of fact. I am advocating for the Baltimore Angel. In the year prior, Baltimore began to have sightings of an angel that looked like the alleged killer at the 8x10 club. This angel would take care of muggers, gangbangers, protect the elderly, and save people from imminent death. Then recently, this very same angel began making appearances at sheer massacres. Anne Arundel County, Frederick County, and now Baltimore City have all become sightings of the new activity. Whatever this angel did before didn't seem to matter anymore as the killing erased any good conduct from before. I stared at Mr. Bates. That's all I could do. Please explain. I'm not following you. Are you saying that you know this angel? I do know him. He didn't do this atrocity at the 8x10. Judging by the look on his face, I was going to cut him off entirely. Mr. Bates. Captain, I know what this sounds like, but he didn't do it. When he first started to help people, to help this city, the hope and the faith of our city began to be lifted as well. He began to feel something again. Don't link him with this killer. He's trying to find him as well. This was something that even Calliope didn't prepare me for. Mr. Bates, what would you believe in my shoes? Bates sat there and thought to himself. How would you react if someone you don't know came into your office and started talking gibberish about angels? And considering when this story was released, there was no mention of angels involved in the first place. What this tells me, for lack of better information, is that you were at the 8x10 on New Year's Eve. Am I wrong? Tears came out of his eyes, pleading as if I was going to kill his firstborn child or something. You had to admire the kid. He did love this angel very much, or he wouldn't have done this. But then again, maybe he was a thrall or something. Captain, I... I was the DJ. I saw what happened. And I know that Ramiel didn't do it. Ramiel, that's his name? Yes, that's his name. <clears throat> I was at a very low point in my life when I decided I wanted to end my life. Romeo would not let me do that because he saw something of value in me that I didn't see in myself. I leaned back into my chair, resigned to find the information that I needed. Okay, Mr. Bates, tell me your account of what happened that night. I was taking a smoke break outside after a seriously hardcore set of music. I guess all that vaping got me going. I was outside the club when about five or six people walked in. They had this strange look about them that I couldn't place. Clyde the bouncer asked for ID, but they ignored him. He tried to keep them going from inside, and the people changed. What do you mean, changed? It was as if their human look was just a disguise, because they tore Clyde to ribbons. Spurts of blood protruding from him as one of the... things literally fed on Clyde's blood. The other people who were waiting outside fainted almost instantly. All but one. A man dressed in all black. Was it a teenage kid? No, he looked much too older. He smiled wickedly, but he didn't see me watching. He walked into the club and I followed to make sure I knew what was going on. I called 911 to court Clyde, but it was too late. As I walked behind the guy, I didn't see him anymore. But the angel of death that people were talking about. He had this long scythe and he was watching as those hideous beasts began to kill everyone. Then all of a sudden he began to attack them turning them to ash beneath his feet. Anyone who wasn't on the shit was scrutinized by the angel, and if he felt they were sane, 
he sliced their throats himself. When the people began to leave the club in a rush, I ran with them out of the club. I tried to call Remiel to help, but he didn't come until it was already done. Why didn't you stick around to give a statement to our detectives? I asked. Because you would have thrown me in the loony bin for a story like that. Hell, look at how you view me now. Would you have believed me? He got me there. I wouldn't have. But now, with all of the corroborating evidence from forensics, Calliope, and this eyewitness, I was beginning to believe him. But I couldn't write a report about this. This had become something that I couldn't rightfully deal with my natural abilities. No. No, I wouldn't have. I let Mr. Bates leave my office, knowing that his testimony had to be altered for it to be available to be on the record. I worked my full day at the precinct and made my way home. I really missed him. It was still dark when I got back to the house and put my coat, briefcase, and hat at the door. Karen wasn't home yet as I turned to the light in the living room. Sitting, no, perching on my sofa, was the boy I had chased at the mall. I immediately pulled my pistol back from its holster and pointed it at him. Hands where I can see him! How did you know where I lived? He opened his eyes wide and smiled as if I were offering him a fucking ice cream cone instead of pointing a lethal weapon at him. He walked toward me, and I unloaded three rounds out of my pistol. The teenager lifted his hand, and I watched in shock and awe as each bullet slowed down and fell to the ground as if they ran into quicksand. He then put a finger to his lips, as if to ask me to be quiet. He then finally spoke. You called on me, remember? I just couldn't do it at your precinct. Captain, we have a lot to talk about. In the cast you heard Dan Mac McCloskey, Stacey Atwell, Elizabeth Higgins, Max Hunter, Justin Gregory. Effects by Zapsplat.com. You don't have to be old to be wise by Judas Priest. Copyright 2021, all rights reserved.